You are listening to Inside Biotech, an exciting new podcast from Biotech Connection Los Angeles, which focuses on the science behind Southern California's most innovative new biotech companies. For those listeners who are new to the podcast, BCLA is an organization dedicated to inspire, educate, and connect emerging scientists and entrepreneurs to grow and diversify biotech in LA. I'm your host, Dr. Yuande Pierce, and I am so excited to welcome you to episode five of the podcast. If you want to stay informed about current progress and developments in the biotech industry, then you've definitely come to the right place, and I hope that you'll subscribe and keep coming back. Each month, I'll be talking with different scientists, entrepreneurs, and investors about the cutting-edge science that goes on inside their companies, touching on a range of themes from across Southern California's biotech industry. This month, we're starting a new series theme called The Dish on Food in Biotech. This is a personal favorite of ours because the only thing more enjoyable than eating food is talking about food. The food biotech industry is broad and quickly evolving. Traditionally, the food biotechnology industry has mainly focused on fermentation, a form of biotechnology used to produce wine, beer and bread, and selective breeding, a process to improve plant or animal yield or pander to changing tastes. As the biotechnology field refines and extends these methods, we are increasingly seeing more and more new and exciting products on the market, especially in response to the changing culture, ideas and ethics around our food. Many of us wish that we lived in a world in which food, especially meat, was healthier for us and also for the planet in that it has fewer additives and can be sourced sustainably and humanely. While it is a giant task, the good news is that companies are responding to this demand now more than ever. You may have noticed the boom in products like plant-based meat alternatives, but what you might not know is that healthy and sustainable plant-based foods are an exciting reality for our beloved pets too. Wild Earth, a California-based company, is a startup focusing on developing clean, nutritious food for our pets using koji-based protein and cultured meat that is derived from cells while all being made in the United States. It is better for the environment and for our best friends as well. And so to learn more, we spoke with founder and CEO Ryan Bethencourt. I absolutely love this interview and I can't wait to share it with you. So stay tuned. That interview is up next. Brian Bethencourt is a scientist, entrepreneur, and biohacker, best known for his work as co-founder and CEO of Wild Earth, partner at Babel Ventures, and co-founder and former program director at IndieBio, a biology accelerator and early stage seed fund. Bethencourt was head of life sciences at the XPRIZE Foundation, a co-founder and CEO of Berkey Biolabs, a biotech accelerator, and Halpin Neurosciences, an ALS therapeutics-focused biotechnology company. Bethencourt also co-founded Counterculture Labs, a citizen science nonprofit, and Pseudoroom, a hackerspace based in downtown Oakland, California. Ryan has been very busy in his career within the biotech industry. He is also a vegan and has passionately and successfully worked on the development of several sustainable and cruelty-free products. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to Inside Biotech. We are so excited to kick off our new series theme, The Dish on Food and Biotech. And we're absolutely honored to have you as our first guest. How are you doing this morning Great. or this Thank afternoon? <laughs> yes, yes. No, it's much appreciated. Yes. The, yeah, this afternoon and, and this morning, right? Depending on the coast you're in. <laughs> right. 
So we're really keen to jump straight in to the questions that we have. So, I mean, to kick us off, we would love to hear an origin story. You have a really interesting background. So let's start with what inspired you to create this company and how was the experience of starting it? Yeah. So, you know, I, I guess we'll probably talk about it later, but, you know, I was involved in the biohacker movement, essentially making community science labs and then afterwards co-founding IndieBio which is, you know, one of the leading biotech accelerators in, in the world, you know, but one thing, one thing that was very successful was the future of food companies that we invested in, we helped fund and, and co-build. And so many of these companies were like plant-based companies or cell-based companies. They were finding a more sustainable and humane way of making animal-based ingredients, but without the animals. And so, mm. you know, they were kinder to the environment, the animals, and, and hopefully better for us as well. And so this was an area that was really interesting to me as a scientist. You know, I'd always kept the fact that I was plant-based, plant-based vegan and scientist, like totally separate. They were like, one is philosophical slash how I eat. And then the okay. other one is how I move in the world and the industry that I work in. And so for me, the ability to actually combine these two things, something I'm really passionate about, you know, for, for everything, right? So for health, for, uh, for the environment, for the animals, which is, which is being vegan. And, and then, you know, being able to make something that is, that's moving science forward, which is what I'm passionate about from a, a work and, you know, what I do with my life perspective, you know, it was just an incredible opportunity to be able to combine those two. And so we, I had some success with that at IndieBio. And, you know, I'm a longtime animal lover. I've, you know, I've had dogs and cats um, most of my life. And, I, you know, I just started wondering, like, what are we feeding them? The more that I looked into it, the more that I realized, actually, I don't feel comfortable with what we're feeding them. Not, not, only, not only is it is it the fact that, you know, I was looking for something that was really aligned with my beliefs, actually a plant-based diet for my, for my dog. But then on top of that, from a health perspective, I was like, wait, why are there millions of units being recalled because there's euthanasia drug in the dog's food? Wow. Right? And, the cat, and I was like, well, how does that get in there? How does, how does euthanasia drug, something that's toxic, right, that's used to euthanize animals, to kill animals, how does that get in there? Because that, that, that's not given to farm animals. And so the more I dug into it, it looked like it was euthanized horses that were somehow finding their way into beef and chicken, like other, you know, like farm animal derived foods and contaminating it with toxic drugs, making both like both killing and making many animals sick, resulting in, you know, millions of units being recalled over the years. And so was, this was just like a huge scaled issue. And the, the deeper I got into it, the more contaminated and tainted, I realized that our pets supply chain for the for, for the food that they ate was, you know, the FDA, and this is all documented, mm -hmm. the FDA has, uh, has found in, in, in meat rendering plants for, for our pets, has found that, that they've been putting in like, uh, you know, in the grocery store, when you get the, the meat that's wrapped in plastic, well, right. when it goes bad, it gets sent off to the, to the pet rendering plants. And guess what they do? The FDA has found this and has documented this. They just throw the whole thing in with the plastic on. You're kidding. No, because the meat's off, right? The meat's off. And so it's oh, dangerous. Gosh. For humans to open up that plastic packaging. And so we are we are putting melted plastic. We know plastic is a carcinogen, right? Like if you eat plastic, it, it increases your risk for, for getting cancer. Like I don't of recommend course, any yeah. of us eat plastic, right? Like that's a bad <laughs> idea. Right. right? And, and I don't recommend it for our pets. So the more I started to realize, I was like, wow, this is totally and utterly broken. You know, I care deeply about animals. And, you know, my my, my dog, uh, Lady, I was, I was like, I, I, I cannot feed her this. And the more I looked into it, I was like, I wonder how many other pet parents would, would also agree with this. 
And the more I looked at it, I was like 25 to 30% of the meat we consume in the US, 25 to 30% of the meat we consume in the US goes to our pets, right? So, wow, that's so, astounding. so this, it's astounding, right? Like this statistic that people say that, oh, it's just waste. It's just waste. It's actually not, you know, 25 to 30% means that their entire factory farms, you know, the output of those factory farms, instead of going to hamburgers and hot dogs, most of that is going to our pets. And so these these animals are being factory farmed for what? To be turned into a little brown ball of protein, right? It just didn't make any sense to me. I was like, well, we can we can make great protein that's plant-based and fungi-based. And I'll explain the fungi-based, uh, particularly yeast, um, which is high quality protein source, but without the animals, without the environmental impact, without the risk of this type of contamination, which you've seen over and over again. And I was like, wouldn't that be great? And I was like, if I want that, there must be other pet parents out that out there that want this too. And, and so that was really the, you know, that was really the inspiration behind starting Wild Earth. What's really striking about your origin story is just how much synergy there is. I love that your passion for animals, but also the fact that you yourself have been plant-based and vegan for a long time. And the fact that you're also a scientist has come together to create this incredible company. And hearing that is really shocking to me because I had no idea and I I want to run to my kitchen and get under the sink and grab the cat food that's there and just look at the back or maybe throw it out because that standard is absolutely unacceptable for humans. But, you know, for, for animals that we love so much, it's crazy that it's just like, you know, whatever, throw in the carcinogenic plastic. Yeah, it, it's shocking, right? Like, how, how is it even possible? How is it allowed? How does, the, how does the FDA allow that and not shut down the entire facility when they find them doing that? And it's, they, they just, you know, they don't, they find them. Right. And so it's it's kind of like, well, you know, they'll get found out every once in a while. And so, it's you know, I realized there was this whole rotten, like, you know, supply chain underneath how we feed our pets. And I realized there was something I could do about it. And so I, I actually tried to give the idea away because I was like, well, look, I'm, you know, I literally worked in drug development, right. uh, <laughs> you know, therapeutics and, you know, all of this sort of stuff and like biotech foods and things. And I was like, I am not the right person to start a pet food company. But I realized I tried to give the idea away and no one, no one else that I talked to, none of the other entrepreneurs felt as passionately as, as I did. And so I realized I was like, you know what? Sometimes when you look out there and you keep saying someone should do something about this and, mm-hmm. and no one else stands up and says, oh, I will, then the answer is it's you. It has to be you. Couldn't be more true. And I'm so glad you did. And I, I mean, we are aware that you were on Shark Tank and you were just talking about giving away this idea. Could you tell us a little bit about that experience as well? Was that um, related to Wild Earth or that was another project? No, it was. It was. It, it was, was Wild so, Earth. Yeah. So that was so. So that was our, you know, our chief marketing officer at the time, Florian, was, you know, kept trying to get me to apply, get us to apply to Shark Tank. And I was like, look, I, you know. I do not want to go in front of millions of people and run the risk of making a fool of myself. Like I was like, this would be, <laughs> be a company ending event. I go on there, the sharks tear me apart and they're like, oh, wow, that company Wild Earth is terrible. And that the CEO is terrible as well. And, and I was just like, <laughs> I just don't think it's worth the risk. And, you know, really Florian in his infinite wisdom, he chased me like three or four times. He was like, we have to apply. Like it's the only way we can get our message out to as many people as possible that Hey, by the way, did you know that dogs are omnivores? They can survive and thrive on a plant-based diet. We need to get that message out there because otherwise we just couldn't afford to get it out to as many people as, as, as a show like Shark Tank, you know, literally got it out to America. Right. Could do. And so I said, okay, fine. And like, I think the fourth, the fourth time 
I agreed and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go on there. So, so I, you know, we, we applied and I went through, I think it was like, like three casting calls. It's kind of weird. Like a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people don't realize it, but like when, when you apply, you know, they want to see how, how interesting you are on camera. And it's entertainment as well. Entertainment. And, And so they get you to pitch. They, you know, you do a bunch of videos pitching and they say, Hey, try this, do this other thing. And so, you know, I, I think I probably pitched like two or three times on video. And then uh, this was before the pandemic. So, you know, there was a potential to do in person. And then I think the last, the last time was actually a couple of days before going on the show that I pitched to the executives, right? So you, there's like a final screen where it's like, let's see how this person is. Like, even after they said, yeah, you're, you're almost on, you have one more pitch and it's yeah. in person. It's here in LA, you know, in the Sony pictures lot, you have to come down and Whoa. you have to, you know, <laughs> Right. And so I was, I was like, I'm not an actor. Right. So like, <laughs> I'm a scientist. <laughs> I'm a scientist. Right. And like, I, you know, I, I, I'm a scientist entrepreneur now, so I know how to pitch, but this is entirely different. This is like, this is going to the Sony pictures lot. Right. Like I'm, I'm literally, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying out for, it felt like a role, even though it was like the role was me. Right. Right. And so, so I was like, Oh my God, it was so stressful. Like, I don't, I don't remember having had a stressful a couple of days as I had like literally two or three days before, you know, the shark tank pitch was so stressful because it's all, it's, you know, it's filmed live, but they, they really focus on like, they'll, they'll air it later, but mm-hmm. you're rolling. Like the moment the camera goes and the moment the, that door opens, you've never seen any of those five sharks Oh gosh! and <laughs> they make sure you've never seen them. Right. So it's not like you walk in and suddenly Damon's like, Oh, Hey Ryan, good to see you. I remember right. we talked about you, you have like, you have, they, they check to make sure you've never pitched them this idea and you don't know them. Right. And so you go in there and it's totally cold and you, you, you walk in and it's, it's kind of like, okay, the doors open and you know, you've got five sharks there. And so I kept going over and over again in my mind, like that little opening pitch. Hello sharks. My name is Ryan Bethencourt and I am pitching blah, blah, blah wild earth for you know, that line. I pitched that, I can't even remember, over a hundred times in my own head Yeah. because they tell you on Shark Tank, like the tape's rolling. And so the moment you the do- those doors are open, if you if you fall on the floor, we're going to film that. That's and then like, on there. yeah, it, and, but yeah, it's great entertainment, right? Like it's, it's like, oh my God, they totally, you know, they, they totally froze. Roll, you know, keep it rolling. Oh, like it's great. it's great entertainment. And so, you know, so like that, that's how it feels. And so you go in there. And, and, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is that experience, that Shark Tank experience, you walk in there, you're kind of a mixture of starstruck mm-hmm. and like totally confused because you've got these five sharks who are, you know, they're even though they're investors, they're celebrities, right? Like all, all of them are celebrities. Yeah. And so you're in front of like, you have all of their attention. You have five super huge celebrities from the U.S. who are all focusing on you. Their eyes are on you. Listen, their questions are on intently. you. <laughs> you know, and looking at you like, and they're sharp, right? They're super sharp. You know, they've literally heard, I don't know, hundreds of pitches just on the show, let alone, you know, outside in their in their personal lives. So they're super sharp too. Every single one of those sharks is razor sharp. And so, you know, you go in there and, and they just, you do your pitch and they start peppering you with questions. They don't wait for you to answer a question before the other one chimes in with another question. So you're just being bombarded with questions like, okay, what's the science behind this? At the same time, like as you're explaining what the science is, all of a sudden, what are your cogs? Or like, what, what, what's your cost of acquisition? Tell us th- your story. And it's all overlapped. And they do oh, that for, for like, 
When I was on there, it was 40 minutes. That's intense. That's a long time. Super intense. So it was, it was, it was, it was wild. Um, you know, I, I, the only thing that I thought I was like, don't make a fool of yourself. Don't make a fool of wild earth. As long as you don't do that, you're winning. I was like, I'm like, you know, you walk in there. It's like, what's the chances that I'm actually going to come out with a deal? Probably close to zero. So let me just, let me just like be as, as happy and as cool. And it, like, you know, I'm all, all, the, even if they get nasty, all of these five sharks are beloved by everyone in the U S right? right. So I was like, I need to stay cool. Cause they're going to, they're going to try and push me to like lose it or whatever. And, and they didn't really, but they, they asked a ton of hard questions and like Mr. Wonderful was making fun of vegan dogs. He, he made a joke about, you know, if, if my dogs have to go vegan, then do they have to wear tie dye and Birkenstock? Oh, <laughs> wow. But, you know, they, they were having tremendous fun. Right. And, and you know, you have to kind of keep rolling with the punches and, you know, like right at the end, I was like, okay, I have mostly not made a fool of myself. You know, I think I feel good with that. And at the end, I was like, I'm going to walk out without a deal. And right at the end, everyone's out. And then Mark Cuban was like, you know what? I like it. I'm going to make you make you an offer. <gasps> oh, my goodness. How did that feel? You must have been like, what? <laughs> literally, Mark Cuban, right? So it's like literally one of one of, like the literally the shark I respected the most. I think many of us just like he is probably the most outsized personality on there. You know, whether, whether you watch a Mavericks game and you see him yelling at the referees or you see like Mark Cuban playing himself on like, you know, in like the movies. (laughs) (laughs) So like, he he doesn't really seem to play anyone else other than Mark Cuban, but like, that's enough. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's why you love him. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Like if you look as IMDB up, like it's all, it's all like Mark Cuban, as himself, Mark Cuban. <laughs> it's like Mark Cuban, president of the United States, as himself. <laughs> I think it was in like Sharknado or something like that, right? And he was pretending to be the president of the United States. And it, it was just Mark Cuban playing Mark Cuban, right? So it was just, so, you know, he, he put an offer on the table. And it was super sharky. Like it was, it was, it was really heavy. And I was like, look, I'll do this deal, even if it has to come out of my, my equity, because there's so much value of being able to work with someone like Mark Cuban, yeah, who is literally, learning. yeah, the, the learning itself is worth it. And I thought, you know, honestly, the amount of value he's going to bring to wild earth would just be so huge. And so after, you know, we, we did the deal, he actually did cut the check. He invested in wild earth. Wow. And I, I just thought after he cut the check, I was like, that's it. You know, I'll never hear from Mark Cuban again that we're done, but it was nice when it lasted. And, you know, every once in a while I have reminiscences of when, you know, when the show goes on, on the air, they. Like, oh, I remember when Mark and I hugged, and like, we <laughs> the deal. you know, it's like one of those reminiscences. And um, and I was 100% wrong. Mark Mark kept telling me he's like, look, I'm gonna stay in touch with you. And I was like, okay. And I I I, I either talk or email Mark almost every week, and oh, that's wow. been the case for the last I don't know almost two years. Oh gosh. Yeah, and he really means it. Like he, you know, he told me that Wild Earth is the only dog food company for him. Oh he's he's 100% sold on, you know, plant-based protein as a high quality protein source that's also sustainable and healthy. And like, he's sold on all these things. And it, to me, it was like, like, wow, like Mark, Mark has, you know, he's been pivotal at multiple points within, within Wild Earth, as well as his team. I mean, I work very closely with, um, you know, Q Harrison and John, like from his team, he has an incredible team that the Mark Cuban company's team is kind of, you know, it, it, everything's the Mark Cuban, Mark Cuban land. So it's the Mark Cuban companies, but yeah, um, I mean, it's quite a name as well. So. 
that's only the name of the you know the company that works with the with the founders. But you know his team is just so sharp, so smart. You know, Q, Q and I have worked on a, a bunch of initiatives together, as well as with the rest of the team at Wild Earth. And so you know, it has been really transformational working with Mark Cuban. And so, you know, it's taught me a lot. You know, I, I thought I really, you know, I've been involved in all these startups and all these other things, and it was another level of learning. And and Mark has this thing where he he actually doesn't believe anyone should have mentors, by the way. So he has this thing where he basically says, like, like your mentor should be a book. Like you go and read a book, go and learn, right? Don't try and find mentors, right? Because that's just not useful. Like learn from other people. But like, just learn, like read, learn, like you don't need mentors. Yeah, like have um, agency over your own education and learning. Exactly. I mean, you own your destiny, right? And, 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 you know, you can learn from other people, especially from books. And I think that's how he taught himself. And so, you know, even though he says no mentors, like every, even his cranky emails that he sends me, he's like, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you scale that faster? You know, to me, that that's a type of mentorship because I'm like, Okay, I hear you loud and clear. I'll do that better next time. And so, right. someone to hold you accountable. Yeah, honestly, that's all it is. You know, it's someone to really hold you accountable and to make you reflect on how you yourself, you know, have have performed that week. Right? Like, how's the performance this week? Like, did did you did you run enough experiments? Did you learn something? Did you did you succeed at something? Right? Did you fail at something? Why? Like, do you understand why? And so, you know, marks. My interaction with Mark and his team has really taken things to the next level for us at Wild Earth. I mean, we're we're now a nationwide company. We're the leader in plant-based products for pets. You know, we're, we've just started selling in India and in Hong Kong. You know, when we grew uh, revenue 7x last year, all of that would not have been possible without at least some of the support that we've had from, from Mark Cuban and his team because he's really helped us think about the whole U.S. population, right? Not, not just mm-hmm. California, not just Silicon Valley. You know, the world is big. And he thinks very differently to a classical, you know, let's say Silicon Valley VC, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredible how that experience has, I think, first of all, the, how affirming that is to have the support of someone who you respect so much, just to, to think that this was an idea that you were even thinking about giving away, to think back to how you felt about even pitching it to have that experience must be amazing because it really just is reaffirming of something that comes from a very authentic place and that you believe in and is really rooted in true values I think is incredible and then also being able to have this support from Mark Cuban and be able to propel Wild Earth forward on a global scale is just incredible stay tuned after a quick word from our sponsors I'm Asumi Suguro, the Outreach Lead at BCLA, and I'm here with some messages from our sponsors. Zencore is an LA-area biotech committed to improving patient lives by engineering and developing better biologic medicines. Using their pioneering XMAB technologies, Zencore has created or contributed to over 20 therapeutic antibodies and cytokines in ongoing clinical trials. They're advancing these drug candidates for patients internally and with leading industry partners. And two XMAB antibodies are now FDA approved. Zencore is always looking for scientific talent and has more than 10 research scientist positions available. They offer the opportunity to work on cutting edge biology and an environment to grow and enhance your career. 
Learn more and apply at xencor.com slash careers. Bioscience LA is the independent innovation catalyst for life sciences and health innovation in the greater LA area, accelerating the growth of funding, space, and talent, as well as messaging and awareness building. With support from LA County, Amgen, Pharma, Richard Lundquist, Richard Merkin, City of Hope, and Cedar sinai among others, we are working with a broad array of stakeholders to grow our ecosystem. Bioscience is a proud sponsor of BCLA. Follow us at BioscienceLA.org and at BioscienceLA to stay informed, get involved, and be hashtag LongLA. As you were speaking, one of the questions that came to mind was actually trying to like get an understanding of what exactly koji-based protein and meat derived from animal cells. Like, how do you make that in a lab? Like, we've been talking a lot about the business side, but within the lab itself, what does it look like? Yeah. So, so actually, so so this is this was this was a really interesting area. So, you know, at IndieBio, one of the big challenges was really thinking about scaling. How do we scale alternative proteins? Right. So, if we're looking for you know, we know that there's going to be another 2 billion people on this planet over the next 20 or 30 years, right? Mm-hmm. How do we feed them high quality, clean protein in a way that doesn't just, you know, ravage the earth, right? Like we, we don't have more Amazons to, to kind of make space for, to grow crops, to feed to, to um, farm animals. Like we just don't, we don't have the space. We can't continue to do what we've been doing. Like we're, we're basically run out of that capacity to just scale what we have. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the question that was always coming up was how do we do that cost effectively? And so I think that long-term cell-based meat will definitely be an answer to, to the, to the big question of how do we get meat, but there's plenty of other incredible sources of protein as we've seen with the success of beyond meat and impossible foods, you know, plant-based proteins are a great starting point. Mm-hmm. And so is actually fermentation technology as well. I mean, humanity has been using fermentation, you know, literally since as long as we've been around for thousands of years, well, actually, we've been around for a lot longer, but at least thousands of years, I would bet that even prehistory, humanity has been using fermentation. And so, you know, we know that fermentation, especially koji to make miso, miso soup or, or soy sauce or, you know, some of these other products has been around, especially in Asia for the last two to 3000 years, this technology. And uh-huh. so, you know, and then yeast, we've been using yeast for a very long time as well. The, the Romans used to march with um, bread that was... That was that was baked with yeast to enrich it with more nutritious nutritious like vitamins from the yeast themselves, and so they were able to survive off of these like sourdough breads. And so you know th- th- there there are a lot of really interest interesting insights around fermentation technology and fungi, especially. You know, I, I know your audience is mostly scientists, so I mm-hmm. think you know most scientists will really get this, which will be you know that there are essentially three major kingdoms kingdoms of life. I, I'm sure they'll correct me and feel free to correct me on Twitter. I know there are many more <laughs> kingdoms of life out there. They, they keep being added, right? I think it was like eight or nine last time I checked. But in terms of major kingdoms of life outside of, you know, single cell organisms is really animals, plants, and then fungi, right? The fungi kingdom is actually a, a major, you know, kingdom of life. And it's one that we, we don't really talk about. Like, and consumers, you know, for, for the scientists who are listening out there, Consumers often think, and we've tested this, that uh, mushrooms are plants. Oh. Yeah. yeah. We, we've, we've actually tested this. So okay. when we say fungi, 
when we say fungi, like consumers don't really know what fungi are. And they're like, oh, you mean like mushrooms? Yeah, like exactly. Plants, like plants. And it's like, oh, how interesting. And it's, you know, the consumer, when at least when we tested a few years back, consumers just assumed that fungi and mushrooms are plants. And so we had to learn and I had to learn instead of saying, oh, fungi based protein or yeast based protein or koji based protein plant-based protein, they understood what we were saying. And we, we do have plant-based proteins in our product as well, as, as well as yeast and koji-based proteins. And so, you know, one of the major reasons why we used fungi is that fungi is actually closer from a protein perspective to uh, animal-based cells than it is to uh, plant-based cells, which is really interesting, right? From, from an evolutionary interesting. perspective. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, so if you look at like, if you look at like um, a plant cell has, has a cell wall, right? It has this, this really hard cell wall. You know, animal cells don't really have that type of cellulosic type cell wall. Mm-hmm. Um, neither, neither really do fungi. I'm sure, and by the way, I'm sure there's exceptions to that because in biology, there's always exceptions. But as sure. general, <laughs> you know, I, I, I always say that whenever I'm talking to a scientific audience, I'm always like, you know, if, if I ever generalize, someone out there is like a specialist in like, I don't know, fungi that have cellulosic walls or something, right? Like there'll, there'll be someone out there that, that, that's a specialist in that area. Of so, but, you know, as a general rule of thumb, right. And, and so, 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 and what's really interesting is that, you know, if you take, if you take like a pound of, of yeast uh, or koji and you take a pound of, of steak, the yeast or the koji has about 40% protein. The steak would have about 30% protein. So it's actually, the, the fungi is actually very high in protein. So it's a high quality source of complete pro- complete protein, plus it's also high in protein. And so that was really the innovation. I was like, huh, what if we we swapped out the meat that has issues, the, the, this meat that is, you know, factory farmed meat, mm-hmm. uh, occasionally contaminated with all sorts of horrible things, and we just swapped it out for clean uh, source of uh, either yeast or koji, could we do that? And it just seemed like a really efficient way of, of getting clean protein into their food. I mean, we all eat yeast, right? If you have bread, you've had yeast. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeast is literally everywhere. I, I literally, I, Yuandi, I don't know if you do this, but I, I literally, I put yeast on top of my food sometimes. I sprinkle it on like a seasoning. Um, I have that. I do too. <laughs> there we go. The nutritional right? yeast. I love it. <laughs> like add it to everything. There we go. There, it's delicious, right? It's super delicious. And, you know, and, and so literally that's what we're doing, right? We're, 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 instead of just sprinkling it on, like that is the primary protein source for us. So we, we do use koji, but we also use yeast. And honestly, we've, we've shifted much more to yeast than we have to koji. Koji is just more expensive to scale as a protein source, but the two are equally as good from a protein perspective. And so, so what we, what we've basically done is we, we've created products that are basically taking these, you know, um, fungi first, you know, yeast based proteins and use these as a way of making high quality cost effective proteins available for the pet food market. And so that that's really what's been, you know, transformational for us because it's it's, you know, it's clean, it's good, and then on top of that, as both myself and Abril and, and to be honest, Abril is a real scientist. I'm a PhD dropout. Uh, <laughs> in, uh, you know, in, in in stem cell biology, Abril has her PhD. She actually went the full way, got her PhD. She's a chemist by background mm-hmm. and, you know, she, she and Yvonne who worked with her and Jennifer and the team, the product development team, the, their, their remit was like, don't just make dog food with better protein, make the best dog food we can make with today's understanding of science and nutrition, like 21st century science and nutrition. And yeah. so we're not just a plant-based and fungi-based protein company 
that's cleaner, you know, a healthier protein source, more sustainable, we actually have prebiotic fibers in there that are good for the for the, the microbiome in, in the animal's guts. Which is a huge um, field of research that's blowing up. So that's, yeah, huge, that's a huge, huge selling point. Omega-3s and 6s, we supplement with taurine and, you know, all these sort of things that we go above and beyond. This is not required to meet the nutritional needs of the animal. But we think that, you know, based on the nutritional science of today, right, of, you know, of, of, of 2000, you know, 2021, that this is, this is one of the most advanced nutritionally complete food products there is on the market. And so we, we've seen dramatic results. So like our pet parents, 86% of our pet parents have reported some improvement in the health of their, of their pet. We actually have tracked this. That's statistically significant. It is not uh, a placebo controlled study. It is, you know, pet parents that have been feeding wild earth for three months or more, mm-hmm. um, but it is a large number that we asked. We asked over 3000 pet parents. And oh, so wow, that's a huge know, sample. It's a big sample size. And so we saw all sorts of, you know, improvements. We saw improvements in digestion. We saw reductions in allergies, like 50%, you know, itching and scratching and things like that. And and we believe our hypothesis is that, you know, our product, not only does it not have like the bad stuff that's in, you know, conventional, you know, meat-based pet food products, but on top of that, because we're so high in anti-inflammatory compounds, we think our hypothesis is that we're lowering systemic inflammation. And we know you know, for all sorts of illnesses in humans, mm-hmm. if you lower systemic inflammation, that's generally a good thing for us, for our health. Definitely. As I'm a neuroscientist in inflammation and the brain, like the overlap between those things and how they influence each other is an area that we're really focused on as well. I mean, talk is just to clarify a little bit for the audience to make sure that we're all at the same, on the same page and we all get it. So it's yeast-based and koji-based protein that you focus on and another area another corner of the industry is also meat derived from animal cells so as I was perusing the internet I came across the term cultivated meat so do they both fall under cultivated meat and do you have you found that using that term has changed some of the public's perception around some of this technology that's being used to make meat I know there are lots of people who are skeptical about lab-based or lab-grown meats from you know, animal cells, for example. How does it all kind of fit together in terms of wild earth and where that sits? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're a science-first company, right? Mm-hmm. So so we always believe in, in having a conversation around science with our customer base. Mm-hmm. We, we, we have a very strong belief and support of science. You know, that is, you know, not only do we believe in being kinder to everyone, you know, people, the planet, the animals, but, but we really... We also believe that, you know, we, we trust in science. Yeah. And so, you know, for us, leading the pet food revolution means something very powerful for us. And that, that really is our focus. We want to lead the pet food revolution. And with that, that basically means being the leader in launching new alternative proteins, challenging the status quo of the existing pet food industry, which is basically dominated by the same companies that dominate human food, right? Mars, mm. Nestle, General Mills, they, they have different brands, you know, Blue Buffalo, Pedigree Purina, Rocaine, and they're all, they, they have different brands, but it's basically the same companies. And so for us, you know, it's, it's, it's about, it's about leading with science first. And, and we do think that cell-based meat or cultivated meat, you know, has multiple different terms. We think that is the future of meat, full stop. And so Wild Earth, even though we are, you know, we would consider ourselves plant-based, obviously with fungi, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but we call ourselves, you know, a plant-based product. That, that is our existing product line. We have eight products on the market on wildearth.com. 
and you can order them. They get delivered straight to your house, direct to consumer. You know, we think that we can do so much good by focusing the future of the pet food industry on cell-based meat. One, it's cleaner, right? Like you're not going to have the same risks of contamination and all these other issues. Absolutely. And two, it's just more sustainable. And so we've seen pet parents actually being very open to it. And we talk about these topics all the time. So as an example, you know, so pet parents, I think, you know, we, we've seen at least 50% of the pet parents we've talked to are very open to having their pets try cell-based meat. You know, we think that, that that's huge and that will continue to get larger as people see that, hey, you know, cell-based meat is meat, full stop, right? Mm-hmm. It's not fake meat. It's not some Frankenstein thing. It's just animal cells that have been scaled and brewed like we brew yeast, right? Like we brew beer. And we already do that today. For today's medicines, many of the medicines that we make today, they're actually made with Cho cells. And these are animal oh, cells. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we already do this. We use animal cells today. So, you know, many of your listeners who may have to take a, a biologic or a protein-based drug, like their medicine is probably already made in animal cells, right? That, that we basically brew, we ferment, uh, and we make these products. And so, you know, this is, you know, and, and it's not science fiction, by the way, as well. So a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, but cell-based meat is science fiction or cultivated meat is science fiction. Right, yeah. It's been approved in Singapore. So Eat Just, which is actually a, a, a San Francisco-based company, currently sells cell-based chicken in Singapore. Interesting. I didn't know that. I remember going to a conference and hearing about this and being like, wow, this was years ago. I was not aware. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Isn't that wild? Yeah, that's so, crazy. So like, the future has arrived. It's already here. And so the question is, how quickly will that future be distributed? And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty you know, bullish on it. I think that the FDA, I know that the FDA is looking at this question intently. We're seeing governments across the world realizing that this is a food safety issue and, and it's a food safety issue. And it's, you know, it's, it's a food security issue too, where, you know, governments around the world want to be able to feed their, their populations and their citizens clean, healthy food and have a scalable food source. I mean, it takes so many things, scalable, the supply that we need. I feel like a lot of the issues that are coming up, it's, we're getting to a point where it's inevitable. Like we have to, if we care about the planet, we really have to have these alternatives. And since we have the technology, then really what is the downside? And it sounds like you are being able to remove a lot of the roadblocks that might exist in marketing this type of product. And that's really, that's fantastic to hear. And we are actually running out of time, but one of the questions that I had, we talked about the benefits to dog health and the reports that you're getting um, through the sample, the huge sample size that you have, which is really encouraging. But aside from that, you personally, you're the CEO and co-founder of three biotech companies, an investor in over 150 plus consumer food and therapeutic biotech companies, and also the co-founder of Sustainable Food Ventures and IndieBio, as you've spoken about. So needless to say, you really do know the biotech industry, you know, science and specifically food biotech and talking to you about what's really happening um, around this industry has been really insightful. So thank you for sharing all of this. Thinking ahead, the reason why we really wanted to do this series is because it's all happening now. Like you said, it's arrived, it's it's now. But thinking ahead, maybe five years, what do you think is next for plant-based products? Because it does seem like such, I mean, to me, I'm like, of course, no brainer, plant-based is the way forward. But what's after that? Where do you see these products going for wild earth but also in general yeah i mean i i you know i have a mental roadmap and i'm happy to share that mental roadmap and i you i just wanted to say as well like we could probably talk i know your area is 
rare genetic disorders of the brain and also stem cell therapies. That's an area that I, I am immensely fascinated and I'm not an expert in that area. Oh, so cool. you know, I'm glad I, to hear that. I, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping in the future, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll be talking about your research as well. So, you know, it's, it's an area that's very, very interesting to me because to me, I, you know, I'm interested in all of science, right? Not, not just food. And by the way, I think that both, you know, cell therapies, you know, which, which we're currently seeing just really explode, you know, whether yeah. that's stem cell therapies or T cell therapies are, and, and, or growing entire organs, you know, replacing human organs like hearts and That's lungs. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, and growing mini brains. And growing mini brains at Alzheimer's disease at the moment, or just beginning. And yeah, I love the mini brain research. I think it's very cool. So, so like, uh, like all of that stuff, everything that you're doing is heavily interlinked with the future of food as well. I mean, if you think about it, right, what is fundamentally the difference between a, a human cell line, a mammalian cell, a human mammalian cell, or like like a pig mammalian cell, or like a cow mammalian cell. They're relatively closely related. And so like when you grow tissue from one uh, species, it's not that different from growing tissue from another species. There's a couple of exceptions. Like people have told me that like avian cells are actually kind of hard and kind of different to grow. And like fish cells are kind of hard. But, but like within mammals, it's kind of we're kind of all doing the same thing, whether whether you're talking about therapeutics or mini brains or whether you're talking about a nice steak that you're making in the lab, which yeah. I know this is kind of a crazy thing, but <laughs> it, it's all science, right? Like it's all cell science, cellular science. Yeah, it's. I mean, I hadn't thought about it that way. Even having this interview, I'm stoked to be talking to you because I like love food and I also eat a lot of plant-based products and I have a cat and I'm hoping that products will be available for my cat. But actually the connection you just made to the work that I do on a daily basis in the lab, cell biology. Thank you for making that connection for me because uh, you're mean, absolutely I'll, right. <laughs> you want to, I'll, I'll give you an example. So like, I'm sure you use growth factor, right? Yes. I'm sure for, for your mini brains, you use growth factor. Well, guess what has to drop in price and it has to become non-animal based for us to be able to, to scale cell-based meat. It has to be growth factor. So what happens mm. when the growth factor that you currently have to pay for, which is very expensive, what happens when that drops in price dramatically, when it's almost the price of sugar water? How many more experiments could you do? Wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's really, that's a really good point. Right. So it's like it, it, it enables, so, you know, science is technology. And so when we have, you know, I would say consumer technologies like this, which are like cell-based meats, when the price of cell-based meats drops, that drop in the cost of technology of cell-based technology enables new applications in human medicine, in biomaterials, in all sorts of interesting areas. Gosh, that's so fascinating. That's a really cool sort of thing that you've just projected, that you've just kind of um, described there and the connectivity between it all and how this technology growing in general, it means every, it kind of affects all areas. And yeah, it's so fascinating. And honestly, I could speak to you about this stuff and more for hours, <laughs> but we're so grateful to you for giving us the, the time that you have to be able to talk about Wild Earth and also the industry. It's been so fascinating and you've been such a pleasure to speak with. Thank you so much for making the time. You're very welcome. And you wanted to let, let me know when you want us to talk about uh, whether it's Alzheimer's uh, bipolar, because I think some of the circadian, you know, mechanisms in there are absolutely fascinating or schizophrenia. Like, I think all of these things have interconnections. And so, you know, maybe that's the next the next chat, right? Once you start your company, then we can have a conversation around that. 
but first, a word from our sponsors. At the Bridge Institute at USC, convergent scientific efforts seek to develop new treatments, diagnostics, and devices to solve the greatest challenges of the 21st century, including cancer, Alzheimer's disease, and diabetes. One program, the Pancreatic Beta Cell Consortium, represents a priority commitment to the construction of a detailed virtual 3D model of the pancreatic beta cell and its components. Completion of this whole model is critical for development of next-generation treatments for diabetes. For more information, visit us on the web at bridge.usc.edu or email us at bridgeinstitute.usc.edu. The Magnify Incubator at UCLA's California Nanosystems Institute provides co-working laboratory resources for early-stage startup companies working on scientific innovations to address unmet needs. In addition to infrastructure and resources, Magnify also provides access to mentorship, partnerships, and UCLA's vibrant research community. To learn more and apply for space at Magnify, visit magnify.cnsi.ucla.edu today. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode. To find out more about BCLA or Wild Earth, you can check out the show notes. If you like the show, then please take a moment to subscribe and share. It really does help our visibility and takes less than a minute. We'll be continuing with our series theme, The Dish on Food and Biotech, next month, when I'll be talking to Julianne Hummelberg, Vice President at Power Plant Ventures, a growth equity firm that invests in emerging consumer wellness companies. This podcast is a BCLA production. Thank you so much to our podcasting team, Kathy Grosh and Ananta Wadwa, my co-producers, Damon Palermo for sound design, Daniel Grace for the fantastic theme music, and of course, our sponsors, Zencore, Bioscience LA, the USC Michelson Center Bridge Institute, and CNSI at UCLA. See you next time.